1: It is 7 o'clock in St. Louis, 7 o'clock in the morning. If you're one of those people that sometimes wakes up and says, Man. have you ever done that, Michelle Smallman? Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Have you ever woke up like and said, oh my God, I'm late for work. And instead of being like 10 in the morning, it's 10 at night.
2: Yes. <laughs> so the first time I did mornings with Bernie, I, I'm not a morning person. I have shifted my, my sleep patterns and it's been a lot easier the second time around. But the first time with Bernie, I... Was sleeping very erratically and i would just have this low current of anxiety all the time at least for like the first three months that i wasn't going to wake up when my alarm went off at 334 in the morning because my body wasn't used to it and so i would go to bed let's say nine o'clock and i would wake up like a lightning bolt at like eleven thirty and be like oh my god i slept in and it, it would be winter time so it's dark outside anyway and then you get disoriented there was one time i even got out of bed and went to the bathroom brushed my teeth and started getting ready before i realized it was nighttime
1: what a terrible feeling it was
2: awful <laughs> And then I thought, well, now I'm up. Right. What am I supposed to do? I can't really go back to bed. And I have, you know, three and a half hours I'm supposed to be sleeping. It was terrible. It was a rough day.
1: 701 now, your time check brought to you by Clarkson <laughs> Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler Michelle and Randy with you for the next three hours. We're going to talk to former Cardinal, former Atlanta Brave, former Atlanta Falcon, Brian Jordan at the bottom of the hour. He, of course, was a member of the Cardinals during that 1998 home run chase. But I think he'll have some interesting comments on the state of our country right now. Going to talk some hockey with Bernie Federico. Tonight. Tonight, game five, another win for the Blues as they uh, traverse their Stanley Cup championship season. Play Gloria tonight at uh, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. This is a game that kind of, we, we kind of gloss over. Was it Obviously, every game you win in the Stanley Cup finals is big, but the, the 2-1 victory in game five is one that we don't look at. I don't think like we do Game 7 or the first mm-hmm. one or the Boom Boom Gunnerson. We, we don't look at that one differently, but it was a great game.
2: You're right. I feel like we kind of gloss over Game 5 and we usually focus on Game 6, not being mm-hmm. able to win it at home, and then obviously Game 7 winning in Boston and you win the Stanley Cup. But yeah, you're right. We need to we need to give more love to Game 5.
1: So we will today. Bernie <laughs> Federico in the 8 o'clock hour, Jeremy Rutherford in the 9 o'clock hour. Also in the 8 o'clock hour, our friend Hazelwood Westgrad, Matt Weiner of NBA TV will join us. We're 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 going to talk about the fact, Michelle, that the NBA is coming back. Today, the official vote and the owners, it's a fait accompli because Woj said so. Uh, The the owners are going to vote for the season to come back and they're going to play eight regular season games, their playoffs, and then they'll crown a champion in October.
2: Is there anyone more that would disseminate information that you would trust in sports more than Woj?
1: No, he's unbelievable.
2: He's never wrong. He always is first, and he is, always has the biggest scoops, the Woj bombs. So yeah. if Woj says we're coming back, but NBA, the NBA is back.
1: And while the NBA is, Major League Baseball, at least from... Uh union standpoint from a collective bargaining standpoint they aren't major league baseball has rejected 114 game plan and they will not send a counter offer that being said michelle yesterday we had walt jockey on the show the former cardinal gm now a senior advisor with the cincinnati reds and you asked him about baseball major league baseball in 2020
3: yes i definitely do and i've been more encouraged the last few days i think Uh, My prediction is we'll be playing sometime in July and I I hope I'm right because we definitely need it. We all need it and the country needs it. We just can't go a season without playing baseball. I mean, it's it's never been done in the history of the game. We we have to have some sort of baseball, not only for the country, but also for the game, for the industry. It needs to uh, continue to uh, survive and thrive. And I think that, uh, eventually they'll get this thing worked out. Yeah, I'm very confident they will. I think mean, both sides will realize the importance of it and we'll get it we'll get it done hopefully in the next few weeks. Two quick
1: points. Obviously a senior baseball executive talks to a lot of people every day, especially because he's confined and quarantined. He mm-hmm. talked about how he talks to Tony all the time. And the other point is that from his perspective and most baseball executives I talk to out of the realm of the negotiations they recognize the importance of playing this season.
2: Echo both things you just said. I don't think uh, someone like Walt Jacquetty would say with such confidence that he thinks we're going to play if it wasn't an informed opinion, if it wasn't something that he felt confident saying, especially here in St. Louis. And that leads me to believe, connecting the dots, that he has spoken to a lot of people. He thinks that a deal will, in fact, get made and baseball will happen in 2020. And when he said that yesterday, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief because it is very frustrating for people who love baseball to watch the people in charge of this thing kind of run it into the ground in the court of public opinion. And while if and when they get a deal done, a lot of people will forget it and we will watch baseball on TV during this time and we'll be so pumped that baseball is back. It's nice to know that people like Walt Jockety, who are very influential in baseball, understand the importance of having a season in 2020 and understand the ramble vacations if a season were to not happen in 2020
1: how difficult would it be for rob manfred and tony clark to get on a zoom call on mlb network or espn and say we're at a stalemate we're disagreeing a lot we're talking through this because we recognize how important baseball is for our country we we know that people need us people count on us and We have the ability as an organization, as Major League Baseball owners and players, to return our country to a sense of normalcy. And we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. How difficult would that be?
2: Sounds pretty easy to me. But I think the problem there is that sometimes being a leader is just getting on the biggest platform that you have, speaking to your audience, speaking to the the people that follow your product, and saying the right thing. But it seems like the leadership in baseball doesn't really care about saying the right thing. And that's what I think is frustrating for fans because you, you look at this and. Exactly what you just said, Randy. This could be so simple. It could be, hey, we're sorry that some of these details have been leaked out, but negotiations are messy. You have to keep in mind that things are going to be brought to the table that are going to be displeasing for both sides. But we are going to come to a solution because we understand that the public needs and wants baseball. And we res- we respect the fans. We're sorry that the fans may be feeling upset right now. But we-, we want to bring baseball back. That's not difficult. But it seems like they're more interested in leaking out... Ne- you know negative details here you, think about uh, about what we saw yesterday with the cubs owner with ricketts for you to say your losses are biblical that is that is such a uh, a severe statement to make And the only response that you're going to get from players, from fans is, okay, then open the books. Then, okay, open the books. It would be so easy for him to come out and say, hey, the losses have been really tough. We understand the players are dealing with that, too. We are negotiating behind closed doors, and we're going to get a deal done. But instead, he comes out, and he makes it all about him.
1: Right, and... Isn't biblical end-of-the-world stuff?
2: Yes. To me, for- I'm biblical. I'm thinking monsoons. We're getting animals mm-hmm. on an ark. We are figuring out something because the world is ending. Right.
1: So we're sticking with what jo- well Jockety said and then adding to the optimism that he provided us. Derek Gould reports at stltoday.com that four Cardinal players yesterday were at the ballpark working out. You had position players, your second baseman and shortstop, Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung, and then you had the uh, Korean import KK with Adam Wainwright and Waino and KK were pitching BP and Wonger and DeYoung were hitting BP and those guys are just thrilled about being back at Bush Stadium and Colton Wong is just such a, a well-spoken player and a, a guy that I like hearing from because he gets it mean yeah. he says, you know, I, I love being here but I miss the fans and He understands, but also just the presence of those players in the ballpark gives me optimism that they want to come back. And if there's any chance at all that they can, that those players will try to facilitate that.
2: You're right. And to your point about Colton Wong... While the owners might not get it, some of the owners, I don't want to lump them all together because that's not fair. While some of the owners might not get it, while some of the leadership in baseball might not get it, it's nice to see the leaders on the St. Louis Cardinals actually get it. If you read Derek Gould's piece, the quotes from the guys are so, they're so great and refreshing. I mean, you have Colton Wong saying, Quote, honestly, walking onto the field was such a good feeling. It was almost like you've returned home. That's exactly what fans want to hear because Mm -hmm. Busch Stadium is a home for a lot of us. It's our baseball home. And when you're in a community where baseball is so ingrained in the fabric of what you do every day, it's nice for a player to mirror that. Then you have Adam Wainwright who talks about how it was fun out there competing again. I had a blast working counts against those two really good players. I was just out there playing chess. Pitching is still so fun. Think about that for a second. We are so we're entrenched in, entrenched in the growth business side of baseball. And to have the leader, one of the leaders of your team and Adam Wainwright talking about how it's a game and it's mm-hmm. fun as a fan who's who's been dealing with a lot of real world stuff to hear Adam Wainwright talk about how he still has the joy for baseball and how just working counts against players at Bush Stadium was a joy for him. That's exactly what you want to hear.
1: And. I would have to believe that the same thing is happening across the country. It's not just here in St. Louis, but the players have been pretty vocal about wanting to play, preparing to play. And I would hope that little situations like this, four players at Bush Stadium, I'm sure that there were four at uh, the Soso American Ballpark in Cincinnati or Yankee Stadium or Dodger Stadium. and. When players get to spring training, not that they aren't always when they get to spring training, but they w- when they get to spring training, too, it's not like they've just been sitting around watching Judge Judy and eating Entenmann don- uh, Entenmann's donuts, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not yeah. judging. No, no,
2: no. It sounds like a great time. But
1: they haven't been doing that for three months. They've been working out and preparing to play baseball.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm listening to Danny Mac show every day. He's been talking to people, talking to players. And I, when he had Paul DeYoung on, they were talking about how he and Colton Wong at, at a socially distanced space had, had been working out together at Slu, and you you think about that how great it is that those two guys have been together working out and getting sharp together during this time and how that's going to translate to the field if and when they return
1: so we're optimistic about baseball coming back despite some of a lot of the things that we hear Uh, there are people that are rational that are doing things that would lead you to believe that we're going to play now with the nhl and the nba getting back to their sports Will this light a fire under baseball? That's next with Michelle and Randy Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. NBA owners will vote to resume their season today, and they will have a return to play. The NHL announced their return to play plan last Tuesday, so the two leagues that were already playing are planning now, Michelle, to resume their seasons and award a championship that, of course, is barring a, a re-emergence of the coronavirus. But as we sit here right now, the one sport that is on the outside looking in, in terms of actually having a plan to play games is Major League Baseball.
2: I'm to the stage of these negotiations, Randy, where I am so fed up. I'm I'm fatigued by it. You know that song, Wake Me Up When September Ends? I'm yeah. to the stage where I'm like, wake me up when a deal is done. I don't... I. I it's, It's very exhausting to see them going back and forth and back and forth. And it's been going on for weeks now as you're watching other sports make progress forward.
1: In watching the unfolding of the negotiations, it seems like Major League Baseball owners have an amount of money, X amount of dollars that they're prepared to spend, whether it be over 80 games or 60 games or 50 games. What the owners need to do is go to the players and say, look, here's the amount of money that you're going to make this year. You guys can determine how many games you're going to play for this money, but in the regular season, this is the amount of money that you're going to get. That's the way it was set up with the 50-50 revenue share, that's the way it was set up with the sliding scale, and that's the way it is set up with the the 50 games with the the full pro rata. just makes sense to me for the owners to say whether whatever the amount is 1.5 billion i'm just picking a money uh, number out of thin air okay this is the amount of money you're getting you have to tell us now what you want to play for to get that amount of money
2: I agree. It seems like that's the messaging that they're sending. And if that's the case, I'm surprised that you haven't seen more progress in the negotiations because it doesn't seem like they're budging off of that. And if you were the players, you should say, "Okay, we understand that we're not going to get them to budge off of this specific part of these negotiations. So let's then take control of the other parts of this. If they're going to say, hey, we have this much money in a pot, you guys decide how many games you want it to uh, be dispersed over, then they need to say, Okay, this is where we get to ask for X, Y, and Z because if this is the way it's going to be and we know no matter what they're not going to budge off of this, this is when we get to make them concede to a few things for us.
1: So we just settled things. You and I (sighs) could figure this out and we just did in five minutes. On the negotiations, ESPN's Jeff Passan.
0: In a very confusing place because right now Major League Baseball feels like it has the advantage. It has the ability to say to the players we are going to make this season what we want it to be. You guys want your full prorated share of your salary? Fine, we'll we'll give you that. We're just gonna do it over 50 games. And, And the players now have a choice. They either can move somewhere toward the middle And try and make some kind of a, it's not even a counter proposal at this point, but an offer to the league saying, okay, if you're going to play hardball, we're going to go along with you. Or they can do what they are planning on doing right now, which is staying right there and letting the days continue to take away with no baseball. And that, Scott, is the most frustrating part of these entire negotiations.
1: But here's the thing. If you're going to implement unilaterally a 50-game season, you're the owners, you're saying, we're playing 50 games, you don't have to start until Mm mid-August because you're going to play 30 games in September, you play 20 in August, you get 50, you get to the playoffs on the 1st of October, bing, bang, boom, you're set. So... Owners also have the advantage of time here because they appear to have no qualms about playing a 50-game schedule.
2: And that's what's alarming to me, as Jeff Passant just said, is that they're playing this game of chicken where they're saying, okay, I'm going to stand my ground, I'm going to stand my ground, we're cool letting the days tick away without baseball. If that's the approach that the players want to take, that's fine. But realize that the owners, there's a group of owners that's willing to let the entire season go by. So if this is the game you want to play, be prepared that the longer you stand your ground and the longer you let the days tick away, that they're, the longer this festers without a deal getting done, the more difficult it's going to be to come together when you're ready to do so.
1: At its core, I think you and I both agree that we would be on the side of the players. It, it, I, I love to let the market take its course, and I have no problems. There's 750 people that can play Major League Baseball in any given year. There's In the history of the world, we have, what, 330 million people in our country mm-hmm. and 3 billion in the world? In the history of the world, there's about 21,000 people that have played Major League Baseball. They deserve a lot of money yes. because they have gifts that none of us have.
2: And because their gifts are generating the revenue.
1: That's right. People pay <laughs> to go watch them display those gifts. So we're on the side of the players. But this is an unusual situation. And while we can all, 100% of us, be on the side of the players, the bottom line is that the owners do own. And they get to set the rules.
2: It's, it's just like any job, right? Yeah. Your gift is that you're able to broadcast and you're able to talk and you're able to connect with people But... If you're, you're doing so here at a, at a business that employs you, you're not doing it independently from your house. Your gifts are on display because of the company that allows you this platform. Same thing with Major League Baseball. These players, while we are buying tickets to watch them play, and they are the product, if if it's at their beer league softball team, it's not as, no one's coming to that. It's, it's because they're on a platform that the owners have provided them. It's a two-way street.
1: Now you've had multiple owners, Mark Adonasi, of the Brewers, yesterday Tom Ricketts of the Cubs saying that hey, financially, this is really a non-starter for us. This is going to be very difficult and the players are taking umbrage with that. Here again is Passon.
0: When you have a group of owners that's talking about losing significant amounts of money if games are played this year, and you have a group of players that just does not believe it, you have a group of owners that's saying, we're going to lose money, trust us, and a group of players that's saying, why should we? That is where the impasse starts. And trying to build trust In the midst of this has been an extraordinarily difficult thing to do and something that baseball just has not done well at all. And so what you instead have is fighting between the sides as other sports go on and actually try to get back to play.
1: And it's an inherent lack of trust that has led to irrationality because how you can look at the landscape and say, okay, well, they aren't going to have any fans. They've lost multiple games this season. There are a lot of corporate partners that they have that are paying for 162 games in the playoffs, and they might get 80 or they might get 50 games. They are not going to pay the full freight, especially those that are buying signage in a stadium for fans to see. Sure. So any rational person would say, yeah, they aren't going to make as much money. The question that needs to be answered. The owners are saying we're losing money. It's relative to what they normally make. Are they going to move into the red? Probably not. But relative to what they usually make, yes, they're going to lose money. The The, the players are saying, well, you're not going to go broke. You, mm-hmm. you aren't taking out a bunch of loans. And the owners are saying, well, Ricketts said, yeah, we have to. And I I don't necessarily believe that either.
2: I don't either. But then the players are also saying, we've already agreed to a pay cut. Yeah. We agreed to one because we already understood that you are dealing with financial losses.
1: And this goes back to that lack of trust because the MLB lawyers, that Joel Sherman email that he published last week in the New York... What was it? The Post, I guess. Uh, One of the MLB attorneys wrote in a memo right after they negotiated that deal that there would have to be further negotiations if games were played without fans. And apparently the MLB PA attorneys... Don't remember it that way. Meanwhile, things a lot easier on the NBA front. Going to be an owner's vote today, as we mentioned, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN.
4: The league office has a proposal now that it is sharing with team owners. There is a vote set for tomorrow afternoon where the league's board of governors will approve a 22-team return to play in Orlando beginning on July 31st. 13 teams from the Western Conference, nine from the East, and a potential play-in tournament that would include the eight and nine seeds in each conference. Every team, I'm told, is going to play eight regular season games in Orlando. And then if there is a ninth seed within four games of the eighth seed, they'll play essentially a single elimination tournament for the ninth seed, a double elimination tournament for the eighth seed to give them more an advantage to hold on to that lead.
1: Michelle, i got to tell you, this is perfect for me because normally I watch about eight regular season NBA games and then get into the playoffs. So if they just moved, they can completely go to an eight-game regular season as far as I'm concerned. I think
2: it would be awesome. (laughs) You know, I keep thinking about the NBA and the NHL when they return. I mean, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the best thing in sports. It's it's the most intense competition in sports, at least in my opinion. And the NBA, we all tune into the playoffs anyway. I keep thinking, is this going to be like March Madness for us, which is one of the best things in the Mm -hmm. entire sports calendar where it's just an Amazing, you know, do or die tournament that we all turn tune into at the same time. I think it has to
1: be. I, it's I, I be don't awesome. see any way would it, where it wouldn't be because do or die in sports parlance is the perfect term for it. And we have no idea what we're going to see. That's the great thing about it. Phoenix Suns, a really talented team that was injured at the end of the season. They could step up and do some damage in the playoffs. So I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen.
2: I mean, when you think about hockey, there's certainly teams that were in a better position than they might be now with uh, post-pandemic, but everyone's rested. It's going to be neutral sites. It's it's going to be a lot of shades of the NCAA tournament. It's going to be awesome.
1: That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, former Cardinal Brian Jordan was on that 1998 Cardinal team where Mark McGuire hit the 70 home runs. We're going to talk to BJ about that and more. He's a very thoughtful guy. He understands the pulse of the community. He lives in Atlanta, so he'll have some interesting things to say for us next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> To have you with us on 101 ESPN Michelle Smallman Randy Carricker. we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and our friend one of the nicest people that uh, I've ever run across in sports is Brian Jordan and he joins us now here on Carricker and Smallman BJ great to have you with us this morning how are you doing
3: hey I'm doing great man uh, staying safe uh, crossing my fingers and uh hope we can get baseball soon.
1: Yeah, we we, we, we want to touch on baseball, but uh, I, I want to talk to you because you are a thoughtful and caring person. You have three sons, and you live in Atlanta, and you, I know that you're paying attention to what's going on in the world, and I just want to give you uh, the, the platform here. What are you thinking uh, these days with what's going on in our country in the last 10 days?
3: Well, number one, it's scary. Uh, no question about it, but uh, after watching what I did in Minnesota, you know, it has to stop. Uh, police forces have to do a better job hiring police officers. Uh, I think the government politicians need to do a better job in their cities to bring back the the pow and the boxing gyms to have police officers, uh, you know, police the communities better uh i know when i grew up you know i learned to respect police officers because i always saw them in the community they would help help coaching teams and recreation so you kind of build a relationship with the police officers and it it was always a positive environment but you know in today's world uh you know kids are brought up scared of the police officers because what they see on social media and what they see on tv and uh You know, it saddens me. It saddens me, but uh, they got to figure out a way to to change the image of police officers.
2: Thanks for those comments, Brian. I want to circle back to what you Uh, said uh, before Randy asked you that question about baseball returning. I just want to get a confidence check from you. As somebody that's in baseball, that's probably talking to a lot of people every day, where's your confidence level that we will have a 2020 Major League Baseball season?
3: Well, uh, you know, I always talk about this subject uh, because I feel like at the state of where the country is right now, sports is needed and there's a sacrifice that's going to have to be made. It kind of reminds me of the 9-11 when I was in a Braves uniform and the country shut down uh, from from what the tragic incident that happened. You know, there was a fear going back to New York uh, as a player. Uh, But it was a sacrifice that I felt I had to make because to put smiles back on the fans, especially in New York and around the world was important. Uh, and I felt like it was my duty to, to, to do that. And I think we're at that same point, uh, being quarantined this long, not having sports. Uh, yes, I wanted to be as safe as possible. Uh, yes, I have to start with no fans, whatever it takes. Uh, but the players are going to have to sacrifice. It can't be about money, money, money. All the time. Yes, I, I want those guys to get their money. I hope they work out some kind of deferred situation where guys can get their money uh, according to how many games they play. But, you know, it's time to make a sacrifice. It's time to say we have to get this done because, believe me, I was a part of that strike in 94 and 95. And, and fans, you know, they don't take it well <laughs> when, when it's always about money. And the fans are not going to see that. And they need some type. This world needs some sports. and yeah, There's no question in my mind. It's a lot of pent-up anger and energy sitting at home and, and people without work. Uh, so I, I hope the guys understand it. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice, and we can get baseball back out there.
1: B.J., because you opened the door, I, I have to ask about you guys. You were on Atlanta. You go into New York for that game where Piazza hits the home run. What was that like in 9-11, the first game in New York after
3: 9-11? That was the only game I didn't mind losing that way because, you know, to do it in New York and see Piazza hit that game-winning home run, uh, it was so loud. But you could see the joy and, and, and fans crying uh, to be a part of New York. Uh, it, it was it was an awesome feeling. You know, it was almost like it was meant to happen. <laughs>
2: Brian, speaking of home runs, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today is talk, talk to talk about Long Gone Summer, the documentary that's coming out for ESPN about the home run chase between Maguire and Sosa. And as a teammate of Maguire, you obviously has a great have a great perspective for that. But when I was doing some reading last night, I came across some comments that you made in '99, kind of expressing some frustrations about the state of the team at that time. You said, it, "quote It wasn't about winning; it was about one man making history." And at that time, just to refresh everyone's memories, the Cardinals weren't in the postseason hunt you finish 83 and 79 and in third place so what was that like to be on a team that you knew wasn't going to make the postseason but to be in the eye of the storm and this massive home run chase that was getting all of this media attention
3: well you know it, it was it was great uh, because one mark mcguire is a great person uh he was an awesome teammate and you know everybody rallied around mark mcguire during that time you know, we knew we didn't have a chance to to make the playoffs, but all of us wanted to be in the lineup to make sure, you know, he's pitched two and he has that opportunity. And, you know, if you're not going to be in playoffs, at least, you know, be a part of some type of history. You know, and that was our attitude. I think, you know, because Mark was such a good person, you know, I think everybody wanted to see it. And every player, you know, had his back, you know, through all the, turmoil and everything else. Everybody had Barbara Glass back because he's a good person.
1: And, B.J., it's interesting. Uh, I had forgotten that after I think he hit home run number 50 that year, he, he signed balls individually for all of you guys, all of his teammates, to commemorate the, that occasion and and give you a little glimpse into the memory of that 1998 season.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he understood how much media attention that that it was getting, and he knew some of his teammates were probably, you know, getting frustrated every day dealing with media and asking questions. And that was his way of, you know, guys, I appreciate your patience, and, and you know, thanks for having my back. You know, that was the type of guy Mark was. I mean, not everybody's going to do that. They You know, they're going to just say it's a part of my job, and that's what I do. But Mark, you know, he took it to heart to make sure everybody – you know, felt good about the situation. And that was his way of saying thank you for, for taking in all the media and, and walking with me through this walk.
1: Through all of those home runs, and, uh, B.J., my favorite all-time opening day was when he hit that grand slam on opening day against the Dodgers. But uh, throughout that season, whether it was number 50 or 62 or that weekend where he hit 66 through 70, is there one memory that really stands out for you from that season?
3: Uh, you know, when he hit that 62, uh, you know, I'm. T- it was against the Cubs in in Bush Stadium. And uh, just the celebration, man, to see his son, you know, be able to enjoy that moment with him. Uh, you know, that last week, two weeks, I mean, his son was a part of, you know, everything. And uh, to see that relationship and, see what it meant to, to Mark McGuire through it all. You know, his family was there, and uh, it was just a terrific moment for me to, to watch history made and the Sammy Sosa right there on the field with him, and uh, man, it was it was an awesome celebration, man. I, I I'll always remember that.
1: You weren't in the lineup for that game. Were you hurt then?
3: Yeah, I had a wrist injury, and I know Tony was trying to get me in that lineup, but, uh, you know, I I just couldn't get in. I, I hate I am I wasn't in the lineup, and I know Tony really wanted me in that lineup just in case it did happen. But, uh, you know, whether I was in the lineup or not, man, it was a great celebration for me and, and, and Mark McGuire and his family and in, in St. Louis.
2: Brian, this long-gone summer documentary is part of a series of documentaries that ESPN has pushed out. Just curious, did you watch The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan docuseries?
3: Yeah, I mean, he was one of my favorite players. So, I mean, just to get the inside of of what it took to be Michael Jordan, I mean, to <laughs> me it was awesome because, you know, he was probably the greatest competitor of all time. And, uh, you know, I knew that. I watched that every day. and uh, But I got a chance to really see it, you know, how hard-nosed he was. I mean, it was awesome.
2: Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you obviously were a two-sport athlete, a professional athlete for the Falcons and the Braves and obviously the Cardinals. But um, watching Michael Jordan, who is the greatest basketball player of all time, who is one of the greatest athletes we'll ever see. Watching him seek this second career in professional baseball and watching him talk about the difficulties of playing two sports and even though you're very athletic, it's hard to do both at at a peak level, at a professional level. What was that like for you as somebody that has done it to watch somebody like Michael Jordan talk about how difficult it was to actually execute it?
3: Well, he's right. I mean, you have to prioritize your time and and, uh, you got to keep yourself in the best shape and you got to have that, that competitiveness that that Michael had, you know, everybody asked me, do you think Michael Jordan would have made it? I say if he would have started at 25, yes, he would have made it just because of his competitive nature. And if you notice in the documentary, he started out on that 13 game hitting streak, seeing fastball, it kind of reminded me of my career when I came into the big leagues, I was seeing fastballs, and I got off to a hot start, and all of a sudden that wrinkle came. <laughs> uh, Doug Drayback struck me out four times on ESPN, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of how hard I worked on hitting that curveball. And next thing you know, it became my favorite pitch. Well, Michael Jordan went through that same thing, and he ended up learning how to hit that curveball. And to hit 207 and double A and not picking up a baseball since you were a little kid, it's very impressive. <laughs> so I respect him, and he understands how difficult it was. It. But I loved it. Uh, I played three sports in high school, basketball being my favorite. So it was like, wow, this is easy for me. It was something that I was so used to.
2: One more for you, Brian. We had a member of the St. Louis Cardinals move to the Braves, the big bear Marcelo Zuna. I know we haven't had a large sample size of him, but just from the spring training that Marcelo Zuna did have in Atlanta, you as a as an analyst for Fox Sports South, what are the early returns on Marcelo Zuna and how he's going to mesh in Atlanta?
3: Well, I know he's gonna mesh. Uh he- He just has that personality, and uh, the one thing I know is we got a lot of personality on Atlanta's ball club with Acuna and and Albies at second base and Swanson. Those young guys, they have fun. Uh, They enjoy, you know, celebrating and and getting the fans riled up, and uh, Marcel is one of those types of players. I mean, you know, in a big moment, he finds a way to come through. Uh, We'll work on his outfield. Cause I felt like he was one of the better outfielders, uh, early in his career. Uh, and, and he'll get better at that, you know? So he's going to mix very, very well. If we ever see him on the field and <laughs> I know it has to be tough on guys like him to sign one year deals, you know, to, to, you know, have that one year and not be able to play the game. It's, it's gotta be frustrating. So, you know, hopefully we'll see him on the field and, uh, You know, last time we had a shortened season, the Braves ended up winning the World Championship in 95. Right. You know, maybe it's repeat after St. Louis whooped them, upset them in the playoffs this year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Finally, BJ, you've written some really inspirational children's books over the years, and uh, I I know you're really uh, thoughtful about those. I I would guess that you've got some thoughts. Do you have anything you're working on right now?
3: Well, I just completed my first chapter book uh, called the Adventures of Champ Jr., and it's a series, so, you know, it, it's, it's an awesome series, uh, one that I'm looking at maybe turning into a movie, but uh, this is what I love to do, right, children's books, inspire and motivate kids. Uh, I did a reading challenge with uh, all third graders in Douglas County, Georgia this year, and the reading levels have gone up tremendously. I mean, just challenging kids to read, to me, is very important. And to see it really work, uh, incentivize for kids, uh, you know, I'm excited. And hopefully I'll be able to do some of this in St. Louis and uh, help these kids with their literacy.
1: Well, people can learn more about what you're doing at BrianJordanFoundation.com. And America needs people like you. We appreciate you taking time reminiscing and, and giving your thoughts today, BJ. Always good to hear your voice. You too, Randy. Uh, anytime, man. All right. Take care. We'll see you soon. Okay, take care. Yep. Yeah. That is uh, former Cardinal Brian Jordan on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and I will give our opinions on Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. welcome your teolis to the air comfort service text line 65780 you just have to give us something essentially basically a yes or no and uh, we will expound on it and talk about it if you'd like to join us air comfort service text line 65780 and with your teolis for us here's colin surrey
4: All right, you guys. The Public Information and Statistics Society released a map yesterday that shows the number one most streamed movie for each state since the quarantine began. For the state of Missouri, it was The Hangover. For the state of Illinois, it was Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. Our states have bad taste in movies. Take it or leave it.
1: I'm going to leave that. I've never even heard of Illinois' movie Me either. But there's absolutely no doubt that... Well, not at the top of my list. The Hangover is a worthy cinematic experience if you're involved in a quarantine.
2: So I and just... One,
1: two, or three, by the way.
2: Yes, all outstanding. I just Googled Percy Jackson, and it looks like a fantasy type movie. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's a fantasy. It's based off a fantasy adventure novel. So, I'm assuming maybe a children's movie? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm not familiar.
1: If I'm in the midst of a pandemic and I am sitting at home and I'm downloading a movie, it's going to be funny.
2: Yes. Great call.
1: So I I don't get, all due respect, the Percy Jackson thing. And maybe that is an upstate Illinois thing. Maybe that's probably Mm -hmm. not not the St. Louis metro. But hangover is something that I have absolutely no problem with. Would I have gone that direction? Probably not. I probably would have been more inclined to go uh, Bull Durham or Major League or something like that. But I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to leave it as well. While I don't know Percy Jackson and the Olympians... Colin The Lightning Thief. What a, what a title. But I do know The Hangover. And to your point, Randy, I think we could all use a little levity, a little laugh, a little escape. And whether it's through comedy or through some sort of fantasy movie about a lightning thief, I don't think that that indicates that you have bad choices in movies. I think it means that you want a little bit of an escape during some very difficult times.
1: And one note, as I'm sure that people in Missouri know now, in Illinois, maybe not, Never volunteer to be tased.
2: (laughs) Never. Also, Randy, (laughs) it's not a purse. It's a satchel. Indiana Jones had one.
4: (laughs) From the 314 on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, Nolan Arenado wants to be a Cardinal now. Take it or leave it.
1: Oh. 100% take it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it.
2: Yeah, now take it. He's been been wanting to be a Cardinal.
1: You don't sit during a quarantine and watch old David Freeze games and Albert Pools and Matt Holiday and just kind of invite yourself to Oklahoma so you can hang with Matt Holiday to talk Cardinal baseball.
2: So, during the quarantine, during this pandemic, a lot of things have been canceled. And haven't all of us had this moment where we thought, wow, I just lost a couple months of my life, really. You know, like, life as I knew it will never be the same. Weddings that were canceled, sporting events we were supposed to go to, things have changed. It has really shifted the way we view and value certain things in our lives. So, if you have a guy like Nolan Arenado who pre-pandemic felt his baseball career ticking away and was desperate to play in a place where he felt like he had the opportunity to win that is only going to be expounded exponentially post-pandemic now financially i don't know if we can get it done but the way that he views his situation and wanting to get out i can't imagine that it's lessened any
1: I would think that it would probably be enhanced by the pandemic. These are a couple of months. You talk about months that we don't get back. He's got a couple of months of a career that he doesn't That's get back. That's what I'm saying. Now it's, it's shorter and shorter and shorter. So if I'm him, I'm even going to push harder to get out of Colorado and get to St. Louis. That low trade is a wonderful thing. He's got all the power. Another from the 314. With all the co- contract talk in
4: baseball, are you okay with there not being a season?
1: I not. Uh, there is not a circumstance under which I'm okay with there not being a season.
2: I'm definitely leaving it. I said earlier in the week, you, we talked about would you come back to baseball. If there's no season, would you come back? And I said, I would like to say no, but of course I will. I love the Cardinals like they're a member of my family. It's so, It's such a part of my experience as a sports fan is is baseball. I mean, so many people in St. Louis, I think, feel the same. However, if I said those words and then two days later on a wednesday i'm at the point where i'm like i don't want to hear about it i can't hear another word about you two squabbling over money who knows how i'm gonna feel in a year so there's no no way that i would ever be cool with them skipping a season
1: and here's the the other part of it and we're in a unique situation because we're fans with access but When baseball comes back, I want my friends in the Cardinal front office to do well, and that's in ticketing and public relations and marketing. I want all those people to do well and be able to lead a life. I I want people like the four that we talked about in the first segment today. I want Wonger and DeYoung and KK and Wayno. And I, I want the players to be able to live their lives and do what they do best our problem is with a very few people here mm-hmm. that are basically take, taking the sport hostage. It's it's Tony Clark and Scott Boris and Rob Manfred and, and Tom Ricketts. There, there, there are very few people that are at the top of this that are taking the sport hostage. And I'm not going to blame other guys for what those very few guys are doing
2: i mean the last take it or leave it, we just talked about nolan arenado as desperate as we want as desperately as we want baseball back imagine some of the players mm-hmm. who while they want their money i mean they have to be so frustrated and want a deal to get done so yeah i'm not going to blame them because they're they're just a piece of the puzzle right
1: they're pawns in the game of life
2: they've been hijacked by greed randy
4: mm-hmm. From the 314, Alex Petrangelo will be a St. Louis blue for life.
1: Take it or leave it? I'm going to leave it, but I will take that he'll be a blue for the 2020-2021 campaign.
2: I'm going to leave it too, because... Knowing Doug Armstrong, there will probably be a big deal for Petro and then a final deal, right? Wouldn't you say mm-hmm. there's definitely yeah. going to be another one? And as much as we would love to see Petro play the remainder of his career here in St. Louis, we know that Doug Armstrong will do whatever it takes to make sure that that he's putting the best product on the ice. So I just wonder if that, that final contract is not somewhere else.
1: And I believe if I'm not mistaken, Freeze Pops, we have Army tomorrow, right? That is confirmed, 9.30. So looking forward to talking to him. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Next up, Drew Brees has turned out a statement, and uh, we don't know if we have enough time to give it to you, but we'll give you the <laughs> gist of it uh, with his disagreements with his teammates. Next on 101 ESPN. That was the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.